Well, Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2020. Um, word real quick before I start preaching. What's your name, man? Andy. What's your name? Anna. Um, Andy, I had, I turned around during worship and I just heard, when I saw you, I heard the word, the name Japheth, which was, I was like, it's got to be the Lord. And I don't think about this guy that often. But, so I looked him up in the Bible. And he was one of the sons of Noah. But names in the Bible often are like descriptive. It's not like like my name, Travis, or, or whatever. It's, they're, they're loaded. So like Joshua, his name means the Lord is salvation. So anytime you'd say Joshua's name, you'd be like, the Lord is salvation. I need you to uh, help me over here. And so Japheth means opened. All right, and he's and that's that's all it means. But what I felt like the Lord was saying through that is um, Psalm 16 says the Lord, He set me in a broad place, and there's other places where it says that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. If you're familiar with the prayer of Jabez, it says that Lord, he he prays God, I pray that you would extend my territory, that you would bless me indeed, and I just feel like the Lord. Um, I think there's coming for you, there's an expansion of your territory. And I think it's going to be um, very tangible, like, I don't, you know, job, property, or something like that. But it's, it's going to be like that. And I feel like he just wants you to know that it's, it's by his hand. And it's not going to come with any sorrow. It says the blessing of the Lord, uh, the Lord adds blessing to it, and there's no sorrow added to it. And so... But I, I just believe that you're going to see the Lord's blessing on your life, and it's going to open your heart even more. We're, we're all in the process of, like, our hearts being enlarged. And so I just feel like this is a year of enlargement for you, and, and what happens around you is just a sign of what God's doing on the inside of you. He's enlarging your heart that you may run in the way of his commandments is what Psalm 119 says. And so I just bless what the Lord's doing in your life, man, and he loves you. So, all right. Um, you know, it's, it's 2020, and um, I'm going to be sharing about, you know, kind of some of the vision of, of the awakening here, not this Sunday, but in the, in the weeks to come. But really and truly, the Lord's vision never changes for his people. <laughs> and that's what we want. I mean, we want, we want to get on board with what God's doing. And his vision has always been two things. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And somewhere in that process of number one, the first commandment of loving him, you grow in your love for yourself. Because he tells you to love your neighbor as yourself. And so as you seek the Lord, what happens is um, your enemies get smaller and you get bigger because you see that God's with you. And that's the, that's the biggest or the most frequent promise in Scripture is God tells us, Old Testament, New, New Testament, he says, I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. One of his names, Emmanuel, is God with us. And so... Um, but I was asking the Lord, you know, I felt like I heard the Lord say, I will not delay in 2020. And 
I was looking up scriptures about the Lord not delaying, and in Isaiah 46, it talks about the Lord basically rescuing us from our idols. In Habakkuk chapter 2, it talks about um, how the idols are teachers of falsehood. And so I, was, I, I told the Lord, I was like, Lord, not pe- many people in America have golden idols, wooden idols. We're not dancing around ashram poles. So like, what are the, how can we recognize idols in our life? And the Lord said, idols, whatever image you create, images that about me that are not right, images about yourself that are not right. And so we create these images of God, right? Now it says that we were made in the image of God, but we, we try to create God in our own image. So when we do that, God becomes not very powerful. He becomes a God that maybe winks at compromise. And we, we create a God that, that fits nicely around what we want him to be. That's why the New Age movement is popular. Because you can make God anything you want him to be. Right? That's why people really like it and it's really comfortable and it feels it's a false peace because you're like, there's no conflict. There's no confrontation. There's nothing like, like I said, there's no confrontation. There's no conflict. But Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And what he means by that is he drew a very distinct line of who he is and what and who he is not. Now, part of the ways that we, we, we cast down these, these images and, and, and really get the true image of the Lord is we've, we've got to know the, the word again. We've got to know Jesus is the word. This is the word made. He was the word made manifest. And I used to work with a guy who was a Jehovah's Witness. And uh, in John chapter 1, they, Jehovah's Witness, Witnesses use... John chapter 1 as a way to prove that Jesus is not God, ironically. And one of the things they talk about is that you've, nobody has seen God. So like Jesus can't be God because nobody can see God and live. That's their, that's their reasoning. And so they're like, well, Jesus, he was right. People could see him, so he couldn't be God. And they would quote John chapter 1. Using a different Bible. 18. All right, sir. Thank you, Jeremy. It says, no one has seen God at any time. So they would stop right there. No one's seen God, sir. But the thing is, just read further right there. It says, the begotten son who is in the book of the father, he has explained him. And so... When you, so this is what bowing down the idols can do. It can even blind you so much where you can't even see the, the second part of the same sentence. But right here, it's, it's talking about Jesus is the image of God. 
He is the exact representation of God. And that word image is actually the word icon. It's the Greek word icon, which we get our word icon from. And so it means it's the, an icon is the representation, the exact representation of what you want represented. And so you think of, you know, you, they talk about Michael Jordan being the, the icon of the NBA. Or Tiger Woods, the icon of, of golf. More, a thousand times more accurate than these guys are icons. Jesus is the exact representation of God. He's the icon of God. And God said, when you look at my son, you see me. And so how we interpret things, um, even in scripture, is through the lens of Jesus. So you read the Old Testament and you read things like uh, God smote these people. Well, why was that? Why did God um, smite people? Well, the reason is, is that the wages of sin is death, right? So before Jesus, who had to pay the wages of sin? Those people. Now that Jesus has come, who pays the wages of sin? Jesus. And, and so, and even in the Old Testament, people had place to repent. I mean, you had Nineveh, which was super corrupt, super idolatrous and immoral. And God sent a reluctant man of God <laughs> to preach a simple message. And all of Nineveh repented and God spared them. In Ezekiel 18, this is the heart of God. He says, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But sin is, it's, we, we take ourselves under God's covering in that. Just like Adam and Eve, they took them, themselves out from under God's covering when they sin. And so now they've, they've said, we know we're wise. We know good and evil. So when you do that, then you've got to take all the responsibility of that position, which is bearing, bearing your own sin. And so I want to read in um, Exodus chapter 32. And just make some points from this chapter. In the Bible, you know, what it talks about uh, with idolatry, God said, when you don't intermarry, and the reason was he, he didn't want uh, the Hebrews, he didn't want the Israelites' faith to be compromised in any way. And he knew that apart from the, the Holy Spirit that we're all going to go down that path. There's, we're all in the same boat together. Uh, a, a few weeks ago, I said, you know, when we see somebody and they're in a heap of trouble because of they've made a lot of bad decisions, it's like our first response should be, there go, uh, except for the grace of God. You know, because we, we all have that bent without the Holy Spirit, without his sanctifying presence in our life and our ability to give us self-control. That's one, you know, self-control is one of the fruits of the spirit. You know, that's why 
it's really hard to, how many of y'all have tried to willpower yourself out of some sin before and you kept falling? It's because you're a slave to sin. Like it, that thing owns you until Jesus sets you free. And so who are you serving is just, is the question. And then when we serve Jesus, he's the good, he's the good Lord. He's the good master. He's the good king that sets you free. Not, mo not many kings do that. And I was even talking about uh, with, uh, with Wade earlier. He, you know, he's doing student teaching at a school that's got a great principal. And he said there's a lot of camaraderie uh, among the teachers. They hang out together. And it reminded me of my dad when he was a principal. My dad, his first uh, priority was he asked the teachers, he's like, what do you need to be successful? And so my dad, as the, the leader of that school, would, would serve the teachers. And he would do fundraisers um, on his own to raise money to give the teachers resources to buy supplies and whatnot. And I still run into his old teachers and like, your dad was the best principal. Your dad was the best principal ever. And they, everybody was trying to get in Oconee Primary's doors to teach because of my dad. And he wasn't a perfect principal or anything, but they, and they, sometimes he did stuff that they didn't agree with, but they knew it was his heart was to serve those teachers. Even the janitors, he took, he'd take the janitors out, steak dinners. When we caught fish, he'd give the fish away to those guys. He ate lunch with the janitors every day, and, it, and he got the award for the cleanest school every year. <laughs> And so I say that is that's a microcosm of what Jesus came to do. He's the servant king. He is the servant king. He, he's still, he is serving each and every one of us right now. He's sustaining us. He's serving us. He's blessing us. We have nothing apart from him. And so, but when we, when we serve idols, in the, you know, in the Old Testament, Idolatry starts in the heart first, and, and sexual immorality is actually just the manifestation of idolatry in the heart. It's a, sexual immorality is just a fruit. It's like the, the physical manifestation of idolatry in our hearts. And so that's, that's why it's the de you know, one of the devil's uh, favorite tools to manipulate with. But I want to get to um, Exodus chapter 32 and, and talk about the, uh, the idolatry of the Israelites. So starting in verse 1, it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses... The man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. 
So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people whom you have brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshiped it and have sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I'll make of you a great nation. So Moses has gone up to the mountain. It's been 40 days. And in a nutshell, what the people say is, we're tired of waiting on Moses. We're tired of waiting on Moses. Give us something we can see and we can control so we can worship that thing. And Aaron did it. And uh, the interesting thing is later when Moses confronted Aaron, he said, why did you do this? Aaron said, I didn't do anything. They gave me all their, their rings and ornaments. I threw it into the fire and this calf came out. That's, I mean, you got to laugh at that. I mean, it's a serious moment, but you just, <laughs> I mean, what? A, that sounds like, you know, your three-year-old is like, I didn't do anything. I just put it in the fire and this calf came out. And so, but the, but the, the lesson is, how many of y'all, now I'm raising my hand to be included in this group, how many of you got tired of waiting on the Lord and you decided to do something? <laughs> So like I said, when we read these accounts, we're like, that's me. When we read the accounts about the Pharisees, like, that's me. And, and so waiting on God is a, uh, is a purifier. And this really the only way that idols are destroyed in the Bible, it says, uh, when you, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, chapter 12, it says, when you encounter the idols of these foreign peoples, burn them to powder. Have nothing to do with them. And whenever I was, um, you know, the Lord, sometimes he has you do prophetic acts. And when Jessica and I were first married, the first few months, I would, so I had been in pornography from the age of 7 to 23. And I'd come across it at the age of 7 and, you know, would watch TV around my parents' back that was, you know, pornographic in nature and all kinds of other stuff. So from the age of 7 to 23, I was in pornography. So that's uh, 15 years, 16 years of taking in those images. And when I surrendered my life to the Lord, he delivered me from that instantly. I was never, there was no angel that touched my lips or anything like that. But the day I surrendered, it was over. And I never looked at it again. And, but 
when Jessica and I were first married, I would have, uh, I'd still have like pornographic dreams many times a week, you know, four or five times a week. And just really couldn't shake these dreams, and they were like tormenting me. And the Lord said, um, I was like, God, how, help me get rid of these things. And the Lord said, you have an idol in your house. And I, I said, well, what is it? And he said, you, you have these old pictures from when you used to party, and you're in your old life, these pictures of your old man, old man days. <laughs> and so I had this big album, and sure enough, it was, and a lot of these pictures were pretty crass and rude. And so I took a aluminum, big aluminum wash tub, put lighter fluid on that album, and burned it. Because that's, I just, you don't have to do that, I mean, you can throw it in the trash and never see it again, but it was a sign, it was like a marker in the ground, it was like, that old life is over. I'm, like, I'm a new creation in Christ. This is not who I am anymore. Why would I, I don't need to go look back at those pictures because that's not my life anymore. And that's what the Lord for me, you know, had me do to, 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 set my, to set me free from that. And sure enough, and part of it was also telling Jessica, hey, I'm having these dreams. Will you pray for me? He says, your wife has the most authority to pray for you. You need to tell her. I was like, she don't want to hear about this. And at first she didn't. And she realized these things are like largely out of Travis's control. And he's telling me about them. He probably doesn't want them in his life. And so whenever I would have a dream, I would tell Jessica. Not, I wouldn't go into great detail, but I would tell her. And she would pray for me. And I went from four to five times a week to twice a week to once a month to once every six months to once a year. And now it's at the place where if I ever have one, it's because I got defiled somewhere. That's what, like if I, like one time I watched a, a TV show that had a lewd scene in it, and I had a, I had a dream. I was like, God, where, where'd that come from? And he said, that TV show you watched last night. And I said, I was like, Lord, I repent for, I'm, I'll never watch that show again, and I haven't. And it wasn't, it, was a, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't a graphic, it, but it had a spirit of lust on it. There was no nudity. There was nothing like that. And so now I know that stuff's not mine anymore. It's been nailed to the cross. And so in verse 11, God's ready to smite the Israelites. He's ready for them to pay the price for their own sin. But almost, I think the Lord is tricking Moses into his heart. If I put tricking, tricking, you know, use that term loosely, but I, I think it's an invitation for Moses to discover the Lord's heart. And so Moses says in verse 11, Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak saying, with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. 
Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, and all this land which I have spoken I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. And I believe if God really wanted to uh, smite the Israelites, Moses wouldn't have been able to change his mind. And I think he, God was, this was an invitation for Moses to mature as a leader. And as during worship, I felt like the Lord was saying, he's causing his people to love the church again. And it's easy to point the finger at the church because it's full of imperfect people, right? But I'm telling you, if you don't love the church, you don't love Jesus' bride. If you point the finger at the church, you're pointing the finger at Jesus' bride. And it's not to say the church is faultless and doesn't need correction and those types of things, but are you gonna be a part of the solution, right? Are you gonna get in there and serve? Are you gonna, is it gonna cost you something? Are you waiting for somebody to do it for you? And so you go in, and we were talking about um, how people have been called to churches that they don't even necessarily agree with all the time. And you, uh, we have friends who, they're part of a church right now that they're on assignment there. They, their doctrine or the things that they would love to see happen in church that doesn't necessarily happen in that church but they know God's called them there. Jessica had a se- and I had a season of that where we were called to a church and it's because God wanted us there. And so when you approach church with that attitude of like, what is this church gonna do for me? As opposed to God, what can I do for this church? Because it's, it's a broken, you got broken people you're dealing with, right? And it's not gonna be perfect. And God, you will find that God gives you more when, you, when you're not looking for more. But if you're looking for, hey, what can you do for me? Then you're very limited by what man can do for you. That's, that's your resource pool, what man can do for you. But when you come in, it's like, God, where do you want me? How do you want me to serve? How do you want me to? Because I'm serving you, Father. I do all things unto you. This isn't about me. This isn't about, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for you, Lord, so what's your assignment for me? When you do that, then God, you're dipping into the resources of heaven. And so here's Moses. I mean, he just saw what they had done. They had, they were being, they're being led by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire every single day, and they make a molten image of a calf and say, thank you for delivering us from Egypt. I mean, how much of a slap in the face is that? And, and Moses cries out for mercy. You see, the way of the kingdom, I read this from Watchman, Watchman Nee. So there's a higher standard than right and wrong. There's a higher standard than right and wrong. That's the standard that's higher than right and wrong is called the way of life. 
So the way of Jesus, now if Jesus did what was right, he would have called on angels to rescue him from the cross. Am I right? That would have been the right thing to do because he was not guilty. But the way of life was to surrender his rights on behalf of others. So that's what we're called to do. We're called to serve and not be served. You know, how many, there's, I have two testimonies of one time I was, I was playing basketball and um, I'm a competitive guy. I've just accepted it even as a pastor. Uh, and so I just um, was playing basketball and this guy basically started accusing my character in the midst of the basketball for, and it was, I was really not doing anything. He was just like, you're calling cheap fouls. You, you, you're trying to cheat us out of this. And, and I, I didn't say anything, but I was like, I could strangle you right now. <laughs> Jessica remembers I came home and I was pacing in the kitchen. I was just like, I was ready to fight. I was ready to fight. But I knew better. I knew that wasn't. Now, I, I was right. Like the dude was falsely accusing me. Right? And I was just like, oh, God, this may, I, I, was just, I was like, Lord, I'm so angry. So angry. Now, it's usually these little things, like, you're like, I can't believe he gets mad over a basketball game. But these little things are what truly <laughs> reveals is in your heart. And so I'm like, Jesus, I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry. And, and I just heard the Holy Spirit. He's just like moving the opposite spirit. I was like, I can't even think anything good about this guy. Tell me what's good about this guy. So I write this guy a message on Facebook. And I was like, hey, man, you, I love the way that you support our community. I love the way that you highlight young athletes and, and, and call out the gold in them. I was like, you... You are an encourager. He was the opposite of what he was doing. Because that's, that's truly what he is. He's a guy, and he sees the good. He wants to pr promote people. He wants people to do well. I said all of these things. Two days later, he makes a public Facebook post saying he's like the greatest. Now, this isn't true, but this is what he said. He said the greatest player, basketball player ever in Arconi history, Travis Gay. <laughs> it's not, I was just like, what games was he watching? And so I was, and he has been like, hey man, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Now I'm not trying to gain favor with him. I'm doing, I was trying to not be angry at him. I had another instance with a, with a, a coworker who was competing with me. I wasn't, I really didn't want this position, but I, I knew that he was competing for me for this position at the gym. And I didn't like the dynamics that was happening. Every time we'd go into a meetings with the uppers, upper ups, the executives, he had this list of like things that he was doing. And it was just, just like this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, look at me. And I was like, I don't, I don't like what's going on here, Lord. 
And the Lord said the same thing. He's like moving the opposite spirit. So I wrote this guy an email. I was like, you, I was like, you are a leader of men. You were born to, and women. You were born to, to lead. You're an encourager. You've got the energy. You've got the passion to like lead this, this department. If they ever choose you, you're going to do an amazing job. To this day, he says, man, I'll pull up that email and I'll read it. He said, he said I, cried. He, I cry when I read that email. And I'm just wanting to not be in a, I don't, I don't like the dynamics. That's what drove me there, right? But the Lord, he has, his words are life. His words are life. And so when you speak the words of the Lord and you act in the ways of the Lord, life comes into people. Sam was saying at, at Christmas, can I share this about the, that they were, y'all made um, jewelry for your family members, right? From Stampton Finch. And they, got, and they asked the Lord for words for each family member. And one of the family members was a, is a staunch atheist or was a staunch atheist. And they told their, their, their family members, hey, we asked the Lord what he thought about you, and these are the words we got. And when they gave it to their atheist family member, they turned into a, a puddle of tears. Am I correct? <laughs> or just got, yeah, they got touched. Not, they were touched. And so, so one word from the Lord softens the heart. One word, one word from the Lord is life that these that we don't even know that we need. It's like we don't even know we're a desert, and then we get rain, and we're like, what is this? What is this? There's, I'm in a desert? I'm in a desert. And so what happens is, is it awakens them to their need. That I'm in a desert. I'm, I need this. I need, this is life. And so... Moses is praying. It says the Lord changed his mind. And it says that Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets. And Joshua, I'm moving on down. Moses, he saw the calf that they had made. He got angry. This is where Aaron said, I, threw, I didn't do anything. I threw it in the fire and this molten calf came out. It said the people were out of control. In verse 25, and Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies. This is talking about, I think this is just highlighting this, this, the self-control that the Holy Spirit gives us for. Now, self-control is not just abstaining from something. Self-control is the ability to say yes to things which inherently mean you say no to other things. If you're training for the Olympics and your buddies want to go um, have some beers and that's not in your regimen, what's the, what's the Olymp hopeful Olympic athlete you want to say to that? Can't do it. Because it's going to compromise their goal because they're saying yes to trying to make the Olympics. So even like two beers would compromise that. And so 
the self-control is, like I said, it's not just saying no, it's, it's actually a saying yes, which means these things can't come along. So Moses, later on down in verse 32, he, asks, he continues to ask the Lord to forgive them of their sin. And then the Lord says, go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel should go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. It says the Lord smote the people because of what they did, and it's estimated to be about 3,000 people. You kind of read between the lines, it was like they the, knew who uh, was going to be who were the ones that kind of leading everybody into the sin. So we go into verse, uh, chapter 33. The Lord spoke to Moses, Depart, go from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey for... For I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. <laughs> when the people heard this sad word, they went in the morning and none of them put on his ornaments. So here's a, here's a sign of repentance here. They're not, they're not putting on their ornaments. Say to the sons of Israel, you are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would destroy you. Now, therefore, put off your ornaments from you that I may know what I shall do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now, here's the interesting thing is that the Lord actually told them, I will give you the promised land just as you are. I think to me, that's very interesting. He's like, listen, you can go to the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. I'm just not going to go with you. And so they could have gone into a land of prosperity. They could have been, they could have been prosperous even without the Lord. They didn't want to, but I feel like currently in much of, in much of the church, like I said, we're here to love the church. And, I th- and when we say the church, we're not t- talking about this, these people out there. But we've, we've loved prosperity. And we're like, you know what, Lord? You don't have to go with us. If this is what's available, we'll take prosperity. We don't need your presence. And, the, and Moses said, Keep me in the desert if that's where you're going to be. Do not go up from here. We, I will not go. And, and the Lord's like, and Moses is saying, who, who, who are you going to send? And the Lord could have sent an angel of the Lord. Now, how, now imagine having an angel of the Lord go before you where every army is going to bow down before you. That wasn't still, that didn't satisfy Moses. He's like, I'm standing here with you. If your presence doesn't go with us. And so for the awakening, this is my prayer, is that everything that we do individually, small groups, big groups, all of our gatherings, 
What we desire for, for the most is God's presence. That that would be the chief hunger in our heart is for the presence of God. And how do you cultivate that? How do you, how do you practice the presence of the Lord? How do you honor and decide your presence will be first? Part of it is you have to just make a decision. You acknowledge it. You say, God, I can't do anything apart from you. I don't want to go. The promised land is going to be empty without you. All of these things, all of the, the ornaments represents the materialism. The, the, and materialism isn't just, hey, you like buying things and you like uh, having lots of stuff. That's not the heart of materialism. The heart of materialism is you, you have faith in the temporal and not the eternal. And the temporal is the things that you can see, the golden calves, the things you can control and manipulate. I can control and manipulate. That's what materialism is. I can control these things. And trusting the Lord and leaning not on your own understanding really means you don't have a single idea of what's going on. And, the way, and you practice the Lord's presence. Jessica and I are in a situation right now where we're just like, well, we don't know what to do. You got to like... We give this to your hands. This is what we, this has been our prayer. We, we put it in your hands. We don't even know what we're doing. We put it into your hands. We put it into your hands. And we haven't always done that with every single thing. Well, on this thing, we're saying we put it into your hands, God. My prayer lately, the past few months, when I, before I preached, I was like, Holy Spirit, I can't do this without you. I should have been praying this years ago. But I'm at a place in my life, I was like, I don't, I just, I can't even preach. I, I know I can't. Lord, I can't come up when I'm, when I'm writing sermons. I change my sermons so many times because I'm like, this, this is me. I, I had a great sermon this morning. <laughs> and last night, right before I went to bed, I heard the, the Lord say, don't go without my presence. So I woke up earlier this morning to give you this. And so, <laughs> and so the, but my point is we go in, I can't, you can't heal a headache without his presence. You can't heal cancer without his presence. You can't prosper without him and it be without sorrow. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. That's how I know what's been of my striving and what's been of the Lord. But even in the small groups, like, guys, we can't see 100% of Athens be saved apart from his presence. We can't grow in our walk. We can't. What, what ignites your heart? What's, when your heart feels alive, where is that place? This morning in worship, I was like, this is where my heart's alive. When I get in the fire. Because his love is a consuming fire. His eyes burn like fire. He's the ancient of days, and it says that at the coming of the storm, there's like a river of fire. He is fire. We were out, had a bonfire over Christmas break, and I was just looking at the fire, which... Is, how many of y'all love looking at fire? 
It's because it's supernatural. You're like, how is that flame there? How is it doing that? It's, it's different every time it flows from the coals. And like fire will burn concrete and rock. It does not spare anything. There's nothing that can withstand fire. And the Lord is a consuming fire. And everything in our life that's hindering us experiencing his love, he's got an agenda to burn up. And it's the kindness of God. It's not, it's not this God that's coming in with a, uh, with a belt. It's the, Lord coming, it's the Lord coming in with a smile. And if you don't receive the kindness of the Lord, then he will discipline you as, as good fathers do. Pain can be your friend. Because the Lord, you know what, God's sovereignty doesn't mean he's necessarily in control of everything. It means he can redeem everything. I had a, I had a client, he said, he's not a believer. He said, I've got a problem with this God's will and sovereignty. He said, so is it God's will that I can bench 180 pounds? Like how much is he in control of? I said, well, God doesn't like robots. I mean, who do you love more, like Alexa or your wife? I said, God's the same. I mean, where does that come from? It comes from the Lord. We're all made in his image. And I, and I said, there's other wills at work in the world. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have asked us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. I said, so... You got God's will, you got your will, you got the devil's will. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. The Lord wants to give life and give it abundantly. Our will is deciding whose side we're going to be on. That's our choice. And so, we have that place where the Lord's, his, his sovereignty redeems everything. It doesn't necessarily mean he's in control of everything. And then Moses in verse 12, he says, see you in chapter 33, see you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I've known you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, have found, if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I might know you, so that I, might find, that I might find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. I think that's the number one need of the human heart is rest, peace, the striving, the shame, all of that goes away when you're at rest.
And this is the promise that God made to Moses. And in Hebrews 4, it says, the people of God will enter into my rest. They believe. Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't lead us up from here. And he says, how then can it be known? I found favor in your sight, I and your people. Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? And this was what first drove me away from Christianity. I can't say this was the reason. There was rebellion in my heart, first of all. And then I used this, what I saw, as an excuse to rebel against the Lord. It's like, Lord, I don't see anybody different from, uh, in my church from the rest of the world. Why not do my own thing? <laughs> I mean, like, there's no power. And I'm not even talking about power to heal and the gifts of the Spirit. I'm talking about there was no changed lives that I knew of. I'm sure there were people in that church that as a teenager, I just didn't, I didn't see it. And so what distinguishes us from the rest of the earth? It's the presence of God. When we pray, things happen. When we pray, things change. Things are redeemed, things are restored, things are healed when the people of God pray. And it's about believing that he's with us. Before I do outreaches, I'm like, God, I can't do this, but I know you're with me. Jesus, come be the evangelist. Be the evangelist. It takes the pressure off of me. I enter into his rest. <laughs> so Moses says, show me your glory. And then this is how the Lord describes his glory. I will make all my goodness to pass before you. He says, you can't see my face and live, but I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock, which Paul says is Jesus Christ. So by the blood of Jesus, we get to approach the throne of grace. We, we get to approach our Father who is holy and sinless and perfect with boldness and confidence and without shame because of what Jesus did. And then in verse 23, it's the Lord. I always imagine the Lord in a hospital gown. And the Lord sees, and Moses sees his backside. Anyways, and so. So what I want us to do is just, I want us to stand up if we have the worship team. Do you have anything? Okay, you come on back up one sentence. I just think that we have an opportunity as the church to repent for um, wanting the promised land without the presence. I mean, that's a very real thing in my heart. I'm like, yeah, I want the milk and honey. And if you're there, great. And if you're not, I still want the milk and honey. I mean, that's in my heart. And so um, I just think it's an opportunity because um, where his presence is, is where the rest is. I mean, that's where peace is. 
And so, I mean, I've been in the milk and honey without his presence. It sucks. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's like a roller coaster, right? It, like, feels good, and then it's stressful. <laughs> you know, I mean, anyway, I just, uh, I just think that there's a great opportunity for us to, um, to repent for that being, if it's in your heart, or, you know, because I do feel the conviction of the Lord for that. And, and it takes a new measure of trust to be grateful for his promises that have yet been seen. Um, we received a prophetic word from Matt Knoxall uh, earlier this week, and that's what it was about. It was about having a thankful heart for promises yet yet fulfilled. And that's a sacrifice. That's how we get into his presence, is being thankful for what has yet manifest. And so I do, I think we just need to take a moment uh, to repent. And so um, y'all can stand up or move around or whatever you want to do, but I'm just going to pray. And if y'all want to Join in with me, um, or whatever is in your heart. Father, we can just come before you and we sing and we, we talk about who you are and that we want your presence, but in those moments where we see the promised land, it's so easy for us to wander and say, I'd rather have the land of milk and honey, whether you're there or not. So God, I just repent for my own rebellion and for the rebellion of the church where we have said we just want to, we just want to be the promised land. And we'll build it ourselves if that's what it takes. Forgive us, God. For thinking our way is better than yours. Forgive us for the areas of our life where we've wandered from your presence, thinking that we know better than you. We are your people, God. Sometimes we feel as innocent as Aaron. All I did was throw their jewelry in the fire and a calf came out. I didn't know a calf was going to come out. I didn't know it was going to be so stressful, so destructive, my choices. So God, we ask that you forgive us and that you destroy the idols in our heart. So God, we want your presence. We want to be where you are. God, teach us how to tend the land, how to plant, how to tear down how to build up. 
God, we thank you for your promises. Thank you for the promised land. Thank you that you've promised your children that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you will make your bride spotless. Thank you, God. Thank you for your promises that you will bring peace, that we will rejoice. Thank you for the promises of healing, for raising the dead, for cleansing the leper. Thank you, God, for binding up the brokenhearted. Thank you, God, for setting the lonely in families. Thank you, God. Let's begin to thank the Lord for the promises that you've yet seen fulfilled. It is such a sacrifice. It's so vulnerable to thank God for something that you haven't experienced. We thank you, God. We ask that you help us have faith, help us trust in you. Or have the worship team come up. One worship, one more song. Or if our ministry team will come over to the side, if you love, would like prayer, and somebody to, you know, there's freedom in, in confession. So if there's anything that you need to confess, you know, I had a young man come up to me for prayer one time, and he said, "I need." Um, I said, "How can I pray for you?" He says, "Purity," and I was like, "Well, that covers a lot. Can you hone it down for me?" Part of it, he was ashamed of what he was struggling with. He's like, I'm struggling with porn. I said, I said, that's that's fine. Like the Lord can deal with that. I said, just just gotta call it what it is. And and uh, so I encourage you, the Lord's leading you that to do that, and just to call it what it is. The Lord knows everything, anyways, and uh, there's no shame at the cross. There's only shame when you don't come to the cross. You have to bear your own shame when you don't come to the cross. But when you come to the cross, he bears it for you. And so I just encourage you, call it what it is. And there's power in confession to somebody else because it's, it's a humbling of yourself. And God gives grace to the humble. All right, so let's worship.